welcome to episode 131 of the Deep Lying Podcast, powered by Ronnie Dog Media. My name's Chris Darwin at 10 Potatoes FM, and I'm joined as ever this week by James Jones of Football Fancast. Say hello, James. Hello. So, James, we are we're, we're going to use the real world a little bit this week to come up with a theme. Otherwise, we would be scratching around for for some ideas yet again. And we're going to be looking at half time this week as a uh, as a result of uh, well, Pep Guardiola and Manchester City basically having uh, been ahead at half time twice in two critical games in the in the last seven days, and uh, and basically thrown it away. What a stinker from Man City and Pep Guardiola the last seven days. He's had better weeks, I'm, uh, I, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, now we're not for one minute going to turn this into a slating Manchester City sort of thing because yes, they are quite good at football and, and, and all that sort of side of it. And yes, they will go on and win the Premier League at, at least one of the other six opportunities they've got to close it out. But when you're 2-0 up at half-time against your bitter rivals and you can win the Premier League, then you you kind of hope that you might go on and uh, and win the title. And equally, when you when it looks like you're back in the game against the against Liverpool on on Tuesday night, even though that was offside, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Sorry, wasn't wasn't. Let's get that bit right. Wasn't offside, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, then you've got a team talk that you want to do there. So we're going to be dipping in today to what we all do at halftime on Football Manager because there is a. There is certainly a lot of theories about what are the best ways to handle the half-time approach on on the FM18 match engine. So, James, what, do you have any particular things that you do? I mean, put yourself into into any of the shoes of Pep, Jurgen, or, or Jose. What what would you be doing at half-time if you were any one of those three in in those game situations that we've seen in the last few days? Well, now if I, if I'm Pep Guardiola in, uh, in that Manchester derby and we're two new up at half-time. Um, cruising to the Premier League title, it will be it would just be a, a, a just a simple um, like what you're doing, lads. Keep it up, um, just sort of you know let them know that you know they're playing well and they're they're going in the right direction. Um, if I'm if I'm Jose Mourinho at half time and we're two 0 down and you've got to stop your rivals from um, winning the title, then it's I, I need better from you. I want more. Um, do you have any more passion? Um, where's your passion, lad? Sort of thing. But I mean, I, on FM, I rarely touch the um, touch the the tone. Um, so you know, you can be assertive or yeah, yeah. I just keep it calm all the time. I'm a, I'm a calm talking manager. I don't. I, I rarely, unless I really want to make it known that um, I'm angry or I'm, I'm feeling passionate, then I'll just keep it as it is and just click click one of the one of the selections that I think is more suitable. But um, if if I'm if we're winning, then it's just uh, keep it up, lads. And if we're losing, it's you know pull your finger out. So at half at half time, you're winning, and you tell them to keep doing what they're doing. How often do you see that you either concede the next goal or the game gets a lot more tricky in the second half? Um, I suppose it, as always, it depends on on who you're playing. I mean, if if I'm in the event that I'm the favourite and we're two new up, and I sort of say go out there and continue, I'm happy with what you're doing. Then, then nine times out of ten, the players will maybe score again. I've got a problem. I had a problem in my recent West Ham save that I, I nine times out of ten concede straight after half time, no matter what I said. Yeah, okay. What the scoreline is, I could be four new up at half time, and I'd still manage to concede um, within five or ten minutes of the second half starting, and 
Um, I, I still, to this day, don't know whether that's down to my team talk. Because um, you click on the right team talk and all the players turn green. It's like, well, brilliant, that's worked. Uh, and then you go and concede. And I still, I still really haven't got to the bottom of that one. Yeah. Um, but I, I do sometimes find it a bit of a lottery that the team talk, because you can click on one that you think is the, the obvious one, the obvious team talk to give, and then suddenly four or five players just take it badly. Yeah. Um, well, hang on. That, surely that was the most obvious thing to say. I haven't said anything offensive yet. And you're all, you're all upset with me all of a sudden. But then it doesn't really affect the, the second half. Very rarely have I seen my team talk have a drastic effect on what happens in the second half. Interesting, interesting. I'm, as we will continue to learn across this uh, across this podcast journey of the world, I'm completely different to you, um, which is no, no great surprise. No matter what, and I mean literally no matter what, at halftime they get an aggressive bollocking of, of you need to be doing better regardless. 4-0 up, 2-0 down, 0-0, whatever. It's a straight on to aggressive, you're not doing very well. Um, and uh, yeah, of course, if you're if you four nil up, that surprises a few people, and you get a few red uh, sort of blotches across the the team talk screen. But then I tend to I've noticed that over time, if you are consistent in your team talk, then people actually know what you're the way that you're being, so that you get you do t- tend to then get more people motivated and more people sort of um, uh, on board with it, even if they you are two nil up, three nil up, then they're not sort of a uh, they're not uh, feeling down or pressurized or, or demotivated too often. If, uh, if if I go down that road, but do you do you think that it's a bad thing to get red when you do a team talk? Um, not really. If you get one or two players that go red, then I don't really take much notice of it. Um, but if the whole team goes red, which is quite rare, the entire start the entire eleven on the pitch to take take the team uh, the team talk badly. Uh, then I'd be a little bit concerned about how that second half would play out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but rarely do I, I mean, I might, if, if a player scored three goals or, or two goals or whatever in the first half or he's, he's set up a couple of goals, um, then regardless of what I say, I rarely see the player react badly because he's already in quite a good mood. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Already pretty high anyway, so you, it doesn't really matter what you say, you very difficult to, to piss that player off, as it were. No, no, I see where you're coming from. I've just found that over again over time, and just sort of like looking at these sort of things regularly, that every time I praise at half time, I get a bad second half. So if we're th- if we're two 0 up and I praise, we might still win, but we just don't play anywhere near as well as we did in the first half. Um, if we're it, it, the only thing that seems to maintain quality in the second period for me is just aggressively bollocking them um, at half time, no matter what. You find that aggressively bollocking them at, um, every single time, regardless of, of what scenario is playing out. You find that that then affects the relationship with your players outside of the match day. Um, not really. Um, I think it depends on obviously how much credit you got in the bank uh, with the with the squad already. So they on the on the times where I've had tricky starts to the saves. Yeah, going in with that sort of method, and then we don't win a few games. Then yeah, you're on slightly tricky ground with with the players. Um, but if you're winning games and doing that, then they they they're just on board really, uh, and there doesn't seem to be too much moaning outside of it. Um, one other thing uh, that I, I do then do is 
I still have my training sort of chats as well where I'm praising or bollocking, praising or bollocking, depending on depending on what they've done. So it's not as if the only time they ever hear me speak is at half time in the um in, in the changing room. But I've just always believed in just even even if we're the underdog, even if it's a cup game against a team against two divisions above, if we're not playing well, I just believe in setting that mentality of winning, um, regardless of who we're playing. So it's um that's kind of the reason why I go in I go in hard in in that respect, and to be fair, it seems to work. So, do you ever look at what your, uh, your what your assistant suggests that you should do? Never, never, ever, 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 never, ever. See, see I've fallen in um, a bit of a routine now with my current forum. Would say where um, I tend to once, one, one, you know, maybe once every two games, just let um, just take the advice of uh, my assistant. And do you know what? It seems to work a dream. Really? Like I won't. I won't give him the team talk. I'll never click go you know, tell assistant to do it. Yeah. I'll I'll go right. Okay. What's the assistant say? He'll go. Um, let the lads know that they're playing really well um, to keep it up. So I'll go. Okay. I'll do that. Um, unless I really feel as if I, I need to say something else, um, I'll click on that, and all the players will turn green, or four or five of the players will turn green, and they'll go out in the second half, and they'll they'll continue their uh, their performance or on the flip side um, if we're 2-0 down and I'm scratching my head wondering you know wondering what to do I'll see what the assistant is click click here's and I always get a good reaction from the players if I if I take my assistant's advice okay which is strange really because the assistant I've got at Bourne Wood at the moment is rubbish um, in terms of his statistics and his attributes but for some reason he seems to be pretty good at suggesting the best team tools yeah. Do you ever do individual player team talks? And once once you've done the overall team one, do you ever pull a player to one side and, and have a little word? Um, occasionally, um, if I've got a player who's on a hat trick, I'll I'll give him a bit of a you know him up a little bit, give him a bit of a pat on the back, and tell him to like, sort of try and get him to get his, his hat trick goal. Um, if I notice that a player is playing badly, I'll encourage him. So it sounds as if me and you are complete opposite managers. Um, yeah. On that front. Um, I, I tend to I tend to be quite encouraging unless my players are having a really bad game um, and one or two players are, are particularly shit, then I'll um, you know give them a rocket. But normally I, I try and I miss the nice. I try and you know encourage them rather than give them a bit of a bollocking. Fair enough. So all right, so that, that's the team talk sort of side of half time then. So all right, again you're uh, let's say you're Jose now. So right, Jose's obviously going to go in and, and throw throw stuff at the wall being 2-0 down in that kind of game what what do you do tactically if you're 2-0 down at half time in that sort of game I try and, the first thing I do I try and tighten it up so I'll, um, I, I tend to maybe if, if it's particularly if it's a big important game I'll, I'll switch mentality to, to counter um, and I might switch a couple of player roles to sort of more defensive minded um, roles just sort of try and tighten up at the back, not to concede anymore, and then try and get get uh, get a goal on the break, get ourselves back in the game. Um, I, I, I rarely make a change at half time in terms of substitutions. <laughs> just just because, uh, as I said before, I'm, you know, I try and I try and encourage the players to try and get back in the game yeah. as the game's gone, um, which is quite rare at half time. Um, yeah, so. It, it, I, I just try and prevent another shit half. I, I, I go defensive, go on the counter, and then change a few roles to be more, a little bit more defensive minded at the back. 
That's interesting, because again, funnily enough, um, I'm the complete opposite. Would, would you believe it? Um, so at and, and half-time, regardless of the score, if anybody's on about 6.5, 6.4, I'm, I'm probably just going to hook them, regardless of whether we're winning or losing. Um, and uh, I, and if, if I'm 2-0 down at half-time, and there's no obvious reason why we're 2-0 down, as in it's just a bad performance, I'll just make substitutions, probably two, and then leave it for, for a little bit of time and see where we go. But if it does feel like, well, if we stay like this, we're going to get killed. If um, if I try and tighten up a little bit, we're going to get, get going to get killed. So I may as well just go for it. Then I'll just flick to uh, some kind of outrageously attacking uh, sort of uh, formation for the second half and, and see what happens. Sometimes it comes off and sometimes I end up losing four or five nil. But uh, I think I'd rather go for it than lose 2-1, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean... The main reason why I tend not to make changes, uh, substitutions at half time is because um, I have a real cut set in my ways of when I make my substitutions. Um, so it's always one on 60. Yeah. Um, and then either two on 70 or one on 70 and one on 80, um, depending on how the game's playing out. Um, so then if I make a change at half time, unless I'm forced into it, then it kind of throws out my OCD a little bit. <laughs> Which is which well, sounds crazy. It works for Rafa. It has it has it has grown into some kind of um, FM OCD for me. Like when I make my substitutions, and I'm sure there's so many other players out there that are exactly the same. Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll have a look at sixty as well if it, if it's a normal sort of game. I'll, I'll be having looking around about an hour and seeing seeing what could be done. But then it also, I quite happily go through an entire game and not make a substitution because if it's working, then. Yeah. I don't see a massive need to, to, to make any changes. But now at half-time, I, I will quite happily take off anybody un- underperforming, regardless of who they are or, uh, or or what the game situation is. And, of course, especially if, if we are losing. Um, I do find that, uh, that it's again, it has a more positive impact to make a change than, than not to make a change with, with the way that I do it. Yeah. So, okay, so that's uh, that's... Kind of where we sit in the uh, in the half time situations, depending on when we're winning or losing or, or, or things like that. Let's let's chuck it out to the uh, to the community and see what the uh, the answers to question of the week was. Question of the week. So James, this week we will start in Slack and the good folks that gave us some answers in there. Uh, at FM underscore Samo says he hates halftime team talks when he is winning. Uh, and then he showed us an example of his Sterling Albion side being 2-0 up against Celtic in the League Cup final. Uh, final score, he lost 3-2, which is very, very Pep-like. And no doubt he probably praised the players for doing quite well, I would imagine. And uh, and it all went to, to rubbish in the, in the second half. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Servalarian. I think I said that right. Um, apologies if I didn't. Um, aggressive hub, uh, He says, aggressive halftime te- uh, team talk works wonders. Get the lads fired up and tell them they're shites. Also, go through the defence midfield attack buttons and tell them passionately to make a difference unless they're playing shite, and I tell them. If you're winning, calm, and tell them to be complac- uh, not to be complacent and say to everyone they can make the difference. See, I, I like I like the first bit of that, James. I like the first bit, but even if you're winning, telling him not to get complacent, I always see that if I do that, we let in a goal. Yeah, yeah. I, I've always thought that if it's the moment you bring it, bring in the word complacency, um, it kind of does the, has the opposite effect. 
I was taught that on a coaching course once, and I think this was actually in sales rather than football coaching. But um, that uh, that if you avoid using the words that you don't want somebody to be. So if you sort of if you if you're telling if you want to tell a player off for being lazy, don't tell him not to be lazy because what he hears is lazy and he'll probably continue being lazy. So you yeah. find the positive word that you want to use in that. Now football managers obviously not that not that advanced uh, in terms of the options that you, that you have. So I, I tend to prefer to say nothing than, than do things like that. But uh, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, next one from Slack was Cookie FM. Uh, aggressively, I'm not happy if he's losing, of course. And again, if winning, assertively, don't get complacent. Uh, but he has noticed he's got a higher success rate with the aggressive halftime team talk than the latter. So why are you still doing the other one, Cookie? Why? If you know it doesn't work, why do it? It sounds as though I need to be a little bit more aggressive. It seems to be working for everyone. Well, I think as we move on to what we find in Twitter, you'll probably find more evidence to back this theory up. Yeah, yeah. Over on Twitter, uh, we've got um, at according to FM. It says, never change your mind. Leading is the underdog and ask the team to hold on and concentrate. Everyone looking nervous or blank, so I try to manually G them up. Cue 10 red arrows and confusion. He sent us an image of that. Um, and uh, he did go on and concede, but they still won the game. So it wasn't all bad news in the end, but um, it could have been a lot worse. It's funny because I think, I mean, I, I almost genuinely hate being 3-0 up at half time because you, you never know what, what to say. 2-0, I think I can still just about get away with kicking people. And then and then 3-0, you are sort of like on that, well, come on, boss, we're, we're 3-0 up sort of attitude, which is kind of what um, the next one comes on to. Uh, at Mary Guido of strikerless.com. Uh, he's very much in the drill sergeant style, screaming at them unless they're leading by three goals or more. Now, he didn't go on to tell us what he does when they are 3-0 up. Which would have been which would have been useful information, but again, another one falling very much on the side of just shout at people. Yeah, I'm going to try this later on. I'm going to definitely start to be a little bit more angry and see if it works. Uh, next up, we've got um, at Ross M uh, Ross M two five zero three. It says, if winning comfortably, it tends to be assertively and don't get complacent. Is that word again? Uh, if losing, I try to do as much as possible to get the motivated, inspired reaction. Um, again, the word complacent in there, and uh, yeah, exactly. And it's it's it, it's it's all based around that. But we're not we're not getting enough of what happens next from people in in this one. Really, we're we're all gonna we're all doing our team talks. But what happens? Has anyone noticed the trends and, and and everything as a as a result of the team talks? Also interesting there though that not many people have mentioned um, what they do tactically. Or, or anything at half time? Do they make substitutions, etc.? It seems to be that when you think of half time, especially on Football Manager, that that most of us are purely thinking about uh, what we say to the team, what we uh, what we do from a from a verbal point of view, as opposed to maybe a, a tactical point of view. Yeah, I mean, it'd be good to, to for for those that sent in just to send us some send us some results. Um, but I suppose we, I might, I'm, I'm definitely going to go and try some of these um, some of these ones in, in my one would save and see whether they're getting results and I'll, I'll definitely report back on that because um, it seems as though my my nicey-nicey approach um, is probably a little bit too nice. Yeah, but are, are you still winning the league though, James? Well, we're in League 2 now. Um, okay, so you went up. Good. Yeah, we're in League 2 um, and we're doing alright actually. I won't give too much away because I've got um, the next episode coming out this weekend um, but we're doing alright in League 2. Um, we're winning games. That's all I'll say. 
But then it's also important to remember that if it's working for you with this style, then there's not necessarily a great need to to, to go and change it. I do find that consistency is is really really important um, with it with this kind of stuff. That if you suddenly go from being Mister Nicey Nicey Calm 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 and then just all the time go aggressive, then your player's going to be well, what, what what's got on here? If you're calm 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 and then you throw in the occasional aggressive, that's probably going to wake him up. And I have found occasionally. If um, if we're on a particularly bad run and I've been aggressive, aggressive, aggressive for the first five games of bad run, occasionally throwing in something a bit more relaxed does then sort of help them relax and we, and we get something out of it. So I think as long as you're consistent and don't sort of chop and change, chop and change, chop and change all over the place, and I think you, you, your players are going to sort of, you're going to have that uh, trust and consistency there as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I won't go too drastic with trying, trying these out. It's just that when I see that something's working for someone else on FM, I, I get a little bit jealous. And when, when yeah, I, yeah. even if things are working for me, I think, oh, well, that's working for for them. I'm gonna I'm gonna try that. It might work for me, and then nine times out of ten, it doesn't, and I end up regretting it. But um, I can never help myself, Chris. I always, I'm a I'm a bit of a sheep. I follow the crowd a little bit, you know. Well, that's, that's that's football management in general, really, isn't it? Look at the amount of teams that are now playing three at the back because Conte won the league doing that last year. And everyone would assume that Conte invented three at the back the way they were talking about it. So, True. Anyway, right. So that's that's uh, that's all the great stuff that's come in from the question of the week. Thank you ever so much for everyone who sent something in. Always appreciate it. Now we're going to move on to everybody's favourite segment of the Deep Line podcast, FM Tip of the Week. Here's your Tip of the Week. Hi, guys. Hope you're both well. I'm back here once again with another hint and tip of the week. Here we go. Reflexes show how good the goalkeeper is at reacting to unpredictable events. If he has a high reflex rating, he'll be able to respond to the unforeseen with more success and be able to pull off highlight reel saves or clear the ball to safety. You know, I, I would love my goalkeeper to respond to the unforeseen back pass or anything coming to his near post, literally anything that is more than 30 centimetres away from his fingertips. He's a statue and a waste of space. Cheers, guys. So James, we're going to look at four things to do at half time. So people have got some actual takeaways from from today's podcast that, like your good self, they can go away and try and see if uh, see if we can completely screw up their their currently going very well saves for them. Um, so number one, and we've talked about this a lot, obviously, but but the team talk side of it. So what are you going to? I'm going to give you some examples, James, just to mix this up a little bit now, and you're going to tell me what you would do, now do in this situation if you find yourself in it. All right. So you're three nil up at half time. What are you going to do? I'm going to tell the lads to tell the lads that I'm happy uh, and to to go out there and continue what they're doing in a calm, okay. calm time. Fair enough. It's nil-nil against a team that you are pleased really deep down to be nil-nil with at half-time. Um, I'll, I'll try and give them a bit of a, a confidence boost and encourage them. Obviously, you know, you know we're, we're playing okay. Um, if we continue doing that, then, you know, then, then we, can get, we can definitely score. Okay. All right. So you're, you're 2-1 down to, to uh, a team that you feel you should be beating. I, if, it, if it comes up for me, I'll, I'll be clicking, the, where's your passion, lads? Um, we should be winning this one. Um, but I'll still have that calm tone. 
um, which sound, which probably in real life in a team talks probably sounds quite weird. Yeah, I, th- I think I think uh, your claim that you're going to go away and taking some of this advice on board, I think you've been lying to us, really, James, because that sounds like exactly what you would have done before we even started today's podcast. Okay, never mind. So number two, substitutions. Yeah, you don't make you don't make subs at half time. Uh, no, uh, because of my FM OCD, I, I try not to. Um, but I can see the benefits from doing that, um, particularly if a player's underperforming. Um, or he's running out of fitness, or, or something along those lines. Or if you need to um, change your formation a little bit, and you, you need to sort of take take off a holding midfielder, or take off a striker and put a holding midfielder in, or something like that. Um, so yeah, what, what about Chris? Have you got anything to add on that one? Sub, substitute. I do. I do love making a half-time substitution. I really do. In fact, I like making a first-half substitution. Um, but. Uh, um, I do, as I said earlier, anything below 6.5, 6.4, then I if, if I don't want them on the pitch. They're, they're clearly playing so badly and there should be somebody on the subs bench that can do they can do a better job. So um, I, we probably should have put tactical tweaks up, up above substitutions, but I don't really like, as the first port of call, making any tactical changes because, again, I do typically trust my, my formation and my, and my preferred way of playing to work. It's the players on the pitch that aren't doing the job well enough so it's the players on the pitch that I would change first before I make sort of big big sort of tactical tweaks that's uh, that's just my preferred way of doing it um number three we've got Jamesy is uh, is stats do you ever look at the statistics and everything at half time before making any informed decisions no um in short for someone that um, is quite obsessed with stats in, in the real world uh, I, I do tend to ignore um, the more sort of underlying and, and deep running stats that that are in FM, the, the main stats that I look at at half time would be um, the, the rating. Um, but even then, I'm not really um, I'm not really too bothered about that until the second half, um, unless a player is having a nightmare and he's got a four or something crazy like that. Um, and then that's pretty much it. I'll, I'll, I'll look at. Um, the fitness, but that's not really a stat, is it? Um, and other than that, I kind of just go out there and, and give my team talk and let them go. I, I rarely look at the stats other than goals and assists, which, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's quite, quite a boring approach, really, but I suppose it, it kind of works. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same, actually, which is, which is rare for us. I don't spend too much time during the game looking at pass completion rates or, or this, that or the other. I, I tend to trust my own eye on what's working and, not wor- and what's not working. Uh, after a game, yeah, I'll, I'll sort of keep, a, I, I have a KPI sort of uh, view that I do keep an eye on how players are performing um, in terms of those sort of uh, those key statistics and, and stuff. But during a game, no, I, I, I actually don't look at the anything to do with stats or heat maps or even where most of the opposition attacks are actually coming from or anything like that. I am very much a I trust my my uh, my setup kind of uh, kind of approach. A bit like probably a little bit, a little bit like Arsene Wenger, just slightly more successful, I suppose. <laughs> and then number four, then James, are four things to do at halftime: tactical tweaks. You've you've mentioned a few things here. So um, again, I'll get, I'll give you some examples, and you tell us the type of tweak you might make. Then give it given the example. So you're three 0 up at halftime. W- would you make any tactical changes there? No, no. I'd... Right, so you'd leave it as it was at halftime when when three 0 up. 
as is, unless unless we can see two quick goals in the second half, then I'll um, then I then I'd keep it at that half time. Okay, so nil nil against the team that you feel that you you would be happy to take a nil nil from. Um, again, I'd probably keep it as it is. The players have done well to get get to half time. If, if they're performing well, then done well to get to half time in the, the setup that I've sent them out in. Um, so to be nil nil, so I I keep it as it is, and then just closely monitor how the game develops going into the hour mark and sort of the last fifteen. If I need to make any changes, then that's when I sort of spring into action. Okay. All right. So you're Jose Mourinho. You're two 0 down at half time at the Etihad. What tactical changes do you make there? Oh, in that in that situation with the two clubs involved, I would um, I would switch to a more attacking tactic. Um, if it is Man United and Man City, um, you're not really going to get much going too defensive against City. So I, I would I would probably go a little bit more attacking, um, given the, the players I'll have at my disposal. Um, I, I might change my attacking, might stick two up front. Um, it will depend on what formation I'm playing, I presume. But um, if I'm more of an underdog, then I would switch to a counter. Um, if I've got some pacey players in there, then I'd switch to a counter. Fair enough. I thought Jose got it absolutely nailed on at the weekend by bringing on both Alexis Sanchez and Paul Bogba at half-time. I thought that... Thought that changed the game dramatically. So, yeah. so, so fair play. Okay, and then the last one. Then, so let's say you are. Let's go one nil up at half time, but you feel like it's what you. Although you're one nil up, it's it's against the against the run of play, really. Uh, ooh, that's a good one. Um, again, without without it in front of me, I probably. Um, a little bit like um, before, where I'd, I'd I'd stick I'd stick with what I'm doing at the moment, but then I instead of waiting until the hour, um, I'd give it five or ten minutes in the second half before I then make my decision. Um, yeah, you know, I I, I look to make a, a decision earlier in the second half than than, than later, um, but I wouldn't change anything at half time too drastically. Um, if anything, I would then I would change some of my some of my defenders to a more defensive um, mentality. But I wouldn't really change the formation. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm I'm a half time manager. Of either leave it as it is, or just go absolute sort of hell for leather. Um, there's there's no sort of middle ground really in uh, in in my sort of side of things, and I'd probably only really go for that if I was 2-0 or more down against a team that I, I really should be beating. If it's a team where, um, all right, we're likely to lose anyway, I probably will err uh, slightly more sort of cautiously uh, and leave, uh, leave a drastic change until sort of midway through, the, midway through the second half. But I will normally try and win or get back into a game rather than just accepting, all right, we're going to lose here by, by 1-0 or 2-0. Uh, I will try and influence things influence things that way and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but i guess that's uh that's like the real world as well yeah, yeah. 
Great stuff. All right. So the four things to, to think about at halftime then, folks, in summary. Number one, what is your team talk going to be? Number two, are you going to make any substitutions? Number three, if you are statistically focused, have you checked the stats? And number four, what tactical tweaks are you likely to make? That is not necessarily the right order in which to think about these things. But you probably want to touch on each of them if you're having a good, bad or indifferent time at halftime in Football Manager 2018. So, James, we're, we're going to chuck it over the fence now to uh, to Ian, who's going to give us the community roundup. The community roundup. Welcome back to the community section, where this week I was too lazy to do my own prep work, so I got the fine folks of Twitter to do it for me. You can follow me at Longballfoot to suggest your favourites, but here is what I was given this week to share with you. We start on the Higher Temple Press, where at FM underscore Ponzi has taken a break from trying to make Torres great to bring us a Whopper post covering what to do when you get promoted rather unexpectedly. From transfers to check-in finances to even seeing where you could get your points from, Ponzi has you covered. There's even a great big spreadsheet linked to it as well, which makes the nerd in me very, very happy. HigherTemplePress.com for more on that. Our old pal FM underscore Samo is back with another post from Sterling. This time he's looking at the future of Sterling Albion by showing off his tasty new gens. I'm not going to spoil too much, but oof, Edvin Horva is pretty good. See what he's working with over at occasionalfootballmanager.wordpress.com. Ever had a new gen that looked absolutely phenomenal when he arrived at the club? Did it seem like your prayers were answered, but he never quite reached his full potential? Well, this isn't a new thing for anyone who's played the game before, and at Viva La Vida FM has experienced that at Ostersons. Head to vivalavidafm.com to see what he had to say about why Tesfa never quite lived up to the hype. On to something a little different now. With at control underscore god underscore dammit, he's brought together 32 of the best YouTubers and streamers and pitted them against each other in an FM World Cup tournament. Every person has a country they are, and they'll battle it out to see which side will be world champions in Russia. Virtually, of course. Search for Control Goddammit on YouTube for more. We finish this week in Karluk. I know, I know, that sentence alone is enough to make anyone sick, but there's a good reason for it. At Tommy's Boy 007 has taken charge of Karluk Rovers in the 13th tier of Samo's altered Scottish database, and he's setting about trying to make them a force in Scotland. There's some real creativity going into this, and you can see more at tommysboydesign.com. And that was your community section. So that was uh, that was at Longballfoot and this week's community roundup, which is probably a good time, James, for you to tell us uh, a little bit more than you have done already today about your Bora Woodsafe. Yeah, okay. So we, we went up as champions of National League, um, mostly thanks to Leighton Orient bottling it at the end of the season. We went into the run-in. I think it was just one point between us. I was leading by a point um, going into the last five games, but there was only like two goals in it in the goal difference. So it was quite tight, but then they, I think, picked up one win in the last five games and I ended up winning the league by about eight points. Okay. Did they did they go up in the playoffs in the end, or did they miss out on that as well? They lost in the final to Sutton, which was oh. which was uh, it must have been heartbreaking for those Orient fans. Um, now that's interesting. Now this is this is a an interesting thing to work out to know whether FM are that accurate or not. Were Sutton allowed to go up with their plastic pitch? Uh, well, yeah, because they're in they're in the they're in the League Two now, and I've just beaten them. So 
Um, because yeah. in the real world, of course, they they wouldn't be allowed to go up into into the football league with uh with their four G pitch because they're talking about um relaying it into proper grass again at the cost of about three hundred and fifty grand if they, if they go up. Yes, um, I think in FM they're a little bit more lenient. Um, I actually I, and, and I, rightly so. I haven't looked at, at it closely enough to see whether they they have relayed the pitch on the game, um, whether that has been built into it, but. Um, in our, in our position, we had to um, increase our capacity in our stadium by a thousand seats to, to yeah. football league rules, um, which didn't help my bank balance given that it was quite low already. Yeah. Um, but in FN, they kind of just do it, it kind of automatic. They don't, um, it doesn't go, oh, sorry, you can't go up because you haven't got this. And the board don't, yeah. oh, sorry, we're not doing this. Um, I think it just kind of happens and then you kind of deal with the financial consequences afterwards. Indeed. But we um, we won the FA Trophy as well. Oh, a double. Yeah, we beat Orient in the uh, in the semis, actually. Yeah. With the two legs. So Orient had a pretty bad end of the, end of the season. Um, although they did almost knock us out. We had to score two late goals in the second leg to over, to, um, I think it was 6-5 on aggregate in the end. Blimey. But yeah, that was that was really good fun to win that. And then, so we're up into League Two. Um, I've, made, I've made quite a lot of signings. Um, funny enough, I, um, we'll write a little bit about this in the uh, in the next episode this weekend. But I got to a stage where I was um, Gabby Bonlahor was willing to listen to a contract offer. He's a free agent, right? And um, he wanted he wanted something like five grand a week, which for Boreham Wood is like the kind of wages that would eventually bankrupt them. Um, but I offered him the contract anyway. Just yeah. Like this would be fun having Gabiak Bonnor at Meadow Park, um, but in the end, he, he, he eventually turned us down anyway, which is probably a blessing in disguise. I would imagine so. Did it, where did he end up going anywhere? Or was he still sitting on his backside doing nothing? He's still a free agent, but, um, but yeah. So we're doing all right in the. Uh, I think we're coming up to Christmas time in, in League Two. Where um, I, I don't want to give too much away, but we're we're doing well. Um, but I, I fear for the amount of players that I've signed. I kind of got a little bit happy in the transfer window with the three signings. Um, so I'm sure people will criticise that when they read it because, yeah, I did go a bit crazy. But I'm still within my wage budget, which is good. But, um, so, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much it at the moment, mate. I'll, um, the, the next episode is going to be out at the weekend, so everyone keep an eye out for that. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, that- what about your West Ham save in the... Uh, the, the- not not a lot's happened since since the last time I, I talked about it. I think there's been a couple of updates that have gone up on up on tempo, but that's only because I was quite far ahead in terms of playing and writing. Uh, but no, I haven't actually been able to even boot up Football Manager for at least a week now. Uh, I'm getting a little bit jittery, um, and I'm, I might have to I'll, I'll try, have to try and find some time to, to remedy that in the uh, in the in the next couple of weeks because the last thing you want is anybody presenting the deep line podcast who just doesn't have time to play football manager that'd be that'd be absolutely ridiculous so uh so yeah we'll uh we'll fix that at some point this week yeah boot it up mate and start shouting at your players that'll make you feel make you feel a lot better that that will be pretty much the the routine and not changing my formation in in any way shape or form but try to remember act I, I can't even remember what how well we're doing but i think we're just where I've got up to in terms of playing, 
and I don't I think I might even be up to that far in terms of what's been published is that we're going into the run in now and I think we've got an outside pusher getting into the Europa League or the UEFA Cup as it as it will be known as uh, back in 95-96 so it's going okay I know we've been we've beaten a few good teams this year as well does it have the Intertoto Cup in the database I don't think it has actually and one regret I did have was not was not um supplementing the database further to include the old cup winners cup oh yeah um, because I, I went through and I did a lot of changes in terms of getting like clubs back at their grounds that they were at in that in that day yeah. and stuff. I, I actually forgot to do the um to to create the the cup winners cup and yeah the intertoto cup would have been would have been in there as well. But so no is is that one. There's a few other little things in there which again you sort of you get halfway through. Oh, I wish I'd done that. And uh, and um, it's a little bit frustrating. But but hey ho. West West Ham famously won the I say famously he won the Intertoto Cup in 99 famously won the Intertoto Cup was that the year before or after you got relegated that was that was a few years before okay um, we went down in 2003 and we won it in 98 99 I believe uh, okay okay fair enough so you're not the only club in football history to have been relegated from the Premier League in the same year that you won the Intertoto Cup no no thankfully not I've got a feeling Palace might have achieved that, actually. Teddy, Te- Terry Venables took Crystal Palace into the Intertoto Cup, I'm pretty sure. Then that was the season, I think, I could be completely wrong here in making it up, I think that was the season that they ended up with Italio Lombardo and Thomas Brolin as as, as joint player managers. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think they might have won the Intertoto Cup. But either way, it was a crazy season for Palace and... Uh, and the guy who was chairman then is now manager at Bromley, I believe. So, well, there you go. And on that, on that nostalgic note, which had nothing to do with football manager whatsoever, uh, James, where where can they find out more about you if they want to go and read about this uh, this boring wood safe? Yeah, you can get me on my um, FM specific Twitter handle, which is James Jones FM. And you can read up all about my boring wood save at jamesjonesfm.com. Great stuff. Uh, I am supposed to be on at 10 Potatoes FM, but I don't think anything's gone out in that for, for far too long now. Uh, for my usual day-to-day making fun of the Premier League stuff, it's at Chris Darwin RDM. All my FM content goes up on the higher-tempo-press.com. I think that is everything there. But of course, guys, depending on what you're listening to us on today, please do subscribe to us, be it on SoundCloud, Acast, iTunes, uh, whatever it is, really. Follow us on Twitter at The Deep Lying Pod. And do check out the website because we're running a From the Archives piece uh, most days during the week to get you through the week until the next Deep Lying Podcast arrives and you can find that going up on www.deeplyingpodcast.co.uk james is there anything else you want to say today uh not really other than that when i boot up fm later on i'm gonna try screaming at your players so yeah that should be fun definitely always scream at your players i think that's the, the the message to be taken from today's podcast and of course you do come here for the most accurate tips you can possibly get in the football manager podcasting community so guys we've been the deep line podcast powered by ronnie dog media and we will be back next week 